us listen to the Holy Spirit as we consider the topic of God's grace. Here's the danger, and even when I say that, uh, because many of us, I'm looking around, we're followers of Jesus already. Some are not. Maybe you're thinking about that, or you're just here out of curiosity. But um, many of us are, and so we're used to the terminology. I was about 19 when I first started coming to uh, to churches, and you know, there are certain words I began to pick up on, and there's this whole uh, subculture, you know, of Christian language and our vocabulary. And God's grace, grace is one of those. I was sitting in a pastor's office a few days ago, and I looked on his wall, and he had framed, um, you know, like the lyrics to the song that we sang a moment ago, which is probably the most familiar Christian song ever. You know, Amazing Grace. And I, and I looked at that, and I thought, how um, we're used to it. And sometimes when you get used to something, it loses a little bit of its power or the freshness of it. And so what we want to do in this series is maybe bring that back and to make it new and relevant and, and deep again. And so we're going to look at that. I mean, have you, have you ever taken time to really think deeply about grace? Have you ever taken the time just to study God's word specifically about his grace? Because it is, it is the force, the catalyst, the power in and through my life. But I don't want to misunderstand it, and I don't want to get trapped in what I think it is and limit its influence and what it can do and what it means in my life. And I have done that. I have done that, and I don't want you to do that. So this is a journey for all of us together, whether you're a seasoned saint, whether you're a brand-new believer, or if you're just exploring, you know, the good news of Jesus to see if this is really true. That's when, you know, the way I first started coming to church, I was just checking it out, and I told my friends, hey, don't, you know, pressure me. Just let me listen and kind of check this out and to see and they gave me a lot of room and a lot of freedom just to ask questions and to, to come in and out of that until the Lord just began to, to draw me to himself through grace. It just seemed overwhelming, and I hate to sound like a cliche, but it was amazing. I just thought, wait, let me get this, you know, and I kept rechecking. You know how when you get a contract and you keep going through it, especially if there's a deal that's like too good to be true, and so you look for the catch? I kept thinking, okay, let me read this through again. What, so what you're telling me is total forgiveness. And I mean, I'd walk through that, and my friend would go, yeah, you got it. That's it. Okay, so what do I got to do? You don't have to do anything. That's the whole point. That's why we call it grace. And it just, it really is amazing. It's just so appropriate that, that we refer to it like that all the time. I know the topic of God's grace is huge. It's so big that we certainly are not going to be able to cover this in the next four weeks. But I hope we can at least begin this journey together that maybe each of us on their own, um, maybe for the rest of our lives, would be learning and entering into God's grace in a, in a deeper and greater way all the time. I feel like I'm in a new season, even in this place in my life, where God's taken me uh, to a, a, a new level, a different place in understanding His grace. And I want more. I want more of that. I'm on the board of a ministry called 
Great Fellowship International. It's basically a counseling ministry that's um, based here in Pigeon Forge, but we have counseling offices all over the world on every continent. And one of the new things we're doing is showing how uh, grace is the solution for all sorts of things. And we're, we're bringing on new counselors in the area of addictions. And we're seeing God do tremendous things in people's lives when they don't leave out his grace, but actually figure out, wow, how does that change not just, you know, absolutely who I am in my core, but all the behaviors, you know, that come from shame and guilt and addiction and the things that flow out of that. It's just such a powerful thing. But through that, I was introduced to a guy. Um, his name is uh, Timothy Paul Jones, and he tells this story uh, about his adopted daughter and this whole experience of taking her to Disney. Okay, and I get this mixed up sometimes. Is Disney... Disney World is in Florida, and Disneyland's California, right? I've been to both. I'm not a big amusement park guy, but I married a big amusement park girl. So, um, okay, Disney World. So he's going to take her to Disney World. Here's the story, and I'm just going to read it in his words because he just says it a lot better than I would. Here's the story. Our middle daughter had been previously adopted by another family. I, Timothy, uh, and I'm sure this couple had the best of intentions, but they never quite integrated the adopted daughter into their family of biological children. After a couple of rough years, they dissolved the adoption, and we ended up welcoming an eight-year-old girl into our home. For one reason or another, whenever our daughter's precious family vacationed at Disney World, they took their biological children with them, but they left the adopted daughter with a family friend. Usually, at least in the child's mind, this happened because she did something wrong that precluded her presence on the trip. And so, by the time we adopted our daughter, she had seen many pictures of Disney World, and she had heard about the rides and the characters and the parades. But when it came to passing through the gates of the Magic Kingdom, she had always been the one left on the outside. Once I found out about this history, I made plans to take her to Disney World the next time a speaking engagement took our family to the southeastern United States. I thought I had mastered the Disney World drill. I knew from previous experiences that the prospect of seeing cast members in freakishly oversized mouse and duck costumes somehow turns children into squirming bundles of emotional instability. What I didn't expect was that the prospect of visiting this dream world would produce a stream of downright devilish behavior in our newest daughter. In the month leading up to our trip to the Magic Kingdom, she stole food when a simple request would have gained her a snack. She lied about it when it would have been easier to tell the truth. She whispered insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. And as the days on the calendar moved closer to the trip, her mutiny multiplied. A couple of days before our family headed to Florida, I pulled our daughter into my lap to talk to her about her latest escapade. I know what you're going to do, she said flatly. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? The thought hadn't actually crossed my mind, but her downward spiral suddenly started to make some sense. 
she knew she couldn't earn her way into the magic kingdom. She had tried and failed that test several times before. So she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from the most magical place on earth. In retrospect, I'm embarrassed to admit that in that moment I was tempted to turn her fear to my own advantage. The easiest response would have been, if you don't start behaving better, you're right, we won't take you. But by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? She nodded, brown eyes wide and tear rimmed. Are you a part of this family? She nodded again. And you're going with us. Sure, there may be some consequences to help you remember what's right and what's wrong. You're a part of our family. We're not leaving you behind. I'd like to say that her behaviors grew better after that moment. They didn't. Her choices pretty much spiraled out of control at every hotel and rest stop stop all the way to Lake Buena Vista. Still, we headed to Disney uh, on the day we had promised, and it was a typical Disney day. Overpriced tickets, overpriced meals, lots of lines mingled with just enough manufactured magic to consider maybe going again next year. In our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, and a little weepy at times. But her month-long facade of, of rebellion had faded. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, held her, and asked her, So, How was your first day at Disney World? She closed her eyes and snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn. After a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly. Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It was because... wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That is grace. That's the mat touch. This outrageous, unbelievable, amazing, crazy grace is not a favor that you achieve by being good. It's a gift you receive by being God's. Somebody needs to tweet that or post it somehow this afternoon. It's not achieved by being good. It's the gift you receive by being God's. Here's what's amazing about his grace. This isn't merely what God the Father would do what he did, what he he, he already did do. So here's a question. I'm going to ask you several questions today. 
would a grace-filled God initiate that whole relationship? Would, would he do that and then leave us in the condition where he found us? And just said, good luck. You know, you're in now, but hammer this out on your own and hope you really work hard. Do your best. We'll kind of see where it goes from there. I think a lot of us would deny that, especially those of us who've been around in a church environment for a while. We go, well, no, because we know the answers. We know the answers from our Bible studies and our community groups. But do we really, I mean, do we really get that and live that way? Or is our default position one of, okay, now I got to get to work. Would God's have us spend our days, would he spend his days reminding us of our shortcomings, demanding again and again and again with, with a watchful eye on us, you need to pray more, you need to repent more, you need to be sorrier for what you've done, and just keep us covered in that shame to use that as a tool so that our morality would improve? Is that what Christianity is about? Is that what grace is? Just another moral modification, behavioral kind of a thing? I don't think so. Would a loving creator wave his hand and say, you're forgiven. Now, go and sin no more. Without ever lifting one finger to empower us not to sin anymore? Honestly, a lot of Christians see grace just like Does God's grace mean only forgiveness? I've walked and I've thought about this, and, and I tried to look at it through a fresh lens, you know, just kind of step back and pretend like I don't know a lot about this and think, what do I really believe grace is? And I think, oh, grace is, well, at the end of the day, I think it's just super forgiveness, it's just me getting forgiven for yet again sinning, and it's just that whole process on steroids. And so when you bump it up to that, we call it grace. I think that's what a lot of us think about it. Is there something more to this? Would God leave us alone in our rage and our addictions and our isolation and our shame? That would be, that so, would be so, so cold and just so hard, just this comfortless God if he were to be like that. And that's not been my experience of him. It was his kindness that led me to repentance. And it has been his kindness and his grace again and again and again that has brought me back to him. Sometimes from the cliff, you know, sometimes you've been there, right? That very edge, and you look back and you think, I almost ruined my life or this relationship or that opportunity. The problem is not just with, with God the Father or His grace. I think the problem is our understanding, and I don't know how that happened. You know, just maybe if we grew up in it or we just read it so much or it was always confined to just like this one definition, and, and after a while we just thought, yeah, I kind of get it, and I believe it's, this is what it is, and we just accept that. We don't, we don't even think about it anymore. 
Jesus will not leave us to ourselves any more than he would leave a beggar in the street. Anyone who suggests so, and if that's what you've got, you know, kind of locked into your mind and your, your idea and your, your you know, impression of that is a misrepresentation of the grace of God. So we're going to go deeper over the next few weeks, and we're going to figure this out together and hopefully experience it in a more beautiful way together. Scripture teaches us that we're saved by grace. The good news is we can experience salvation right here, right now, as well as then and there, you know, one day. I think the kingdom of God is fueled, and it just sort of glides along on the wings of grace. The kingdom brings righteousness and peace and joy. That's what Romans 14 tells us. And best of all, this gracious Holy Spirit wants to lead us also into righteousness and peace and joy in everyday life. It's not just about heaven. And I know that's a big, big deal. Absolutely, yes. But it's not just about that. You see, the kingdom is not something... uh, It's never attained. It's not something we get to. It's something we have received. So how do we do that? How do we receive the grace in this kingdom? The more I read the New Testament, the more amazing grace becomes. The more I live, the more mistakes that I've made, the more times I've just messed up, the more amazing this grace really is. The Bible presents grace that continues to reach into our daily lives in in more ways than you you would ever expect. Our text today is in Titus chapter 2, and it's just a few verses, and I'd like to read that together with you, beginning in the 11th verse. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." The Apostle Paul, under the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing to this young pastor, Titus. We're not really sure uh, how young he was, probably about my age, just a young guy. And and Titus had traveled with Paul, and Titus had been trained by Paul. And what's more, Paul had this relationship. He was affectionate with Titus. He was one of his guys. He was a young disciple. In, In fact, in the first chapter, in the fourth verse, he says, This is my true child in the faith. See how intimate that is. And in this passage, check this out. The word grace appears right next to phrases like self-controlled and upright, godly lives. What kind of grace is this? Most folks think of grace as only another way of saying forgiveness. 
If grace only meant forgiveness, why does the scripture connect that? Why does it also talking about, okay, now with grace, I'm learning a new way to live life. I'm, I'm familiar with, you're familiar with probably, that, that phrase, you know, the grace that brings salvation. Because that's what it does. Um, even those of us who maybe weren't that familiar with it at one time, or maybe you've never heard of grace, it also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to, to worldly passions and to, to these dangerous places along the way and to live these self-controlled, upright, healthy lives, godly lives now in this present age. Grace isn't just about you having an avenue and a path to heaven. So let's look at some of the, the key ideas, some of the things that just seem to, to, to emerge from this passage. One is this, the thing we start with is that grace brings salvation. Grace brings, this is the part of God's grace that most of us know, right? We sing about it, and, and a lot of times when we're thinking about grace, and when we're singing about grace, and even when we're reading about grace, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about that first part, right? We're thinking about the thing that kind of kicked this into motion, the thing that saved me, grace. Oh, I was saved, past tense, at this one point in time, at this place, in this moment. And a lot of you, you remember that in your history. You think, oh, yeah, I remember. I was just, you know, I was in vacation Bible school. Or, you know, I was in youth group. We went to this camp. Or I was, a, I was an adult and this, I got into this Bible study. Or a guy at work led me to Christ. Or whatever it is, you kind of remember that. And sometimes we, we kind of connect grace to that. And it's absolutely legitimate, I mean, because that is a part of God's grace. I mean, it's wonderful. That's, that's foundational. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved. It was through faith. It was not of yourselves. It was the gift of God. It's a gift of God. So that's the starting point in our lives. But this is what I, what I want us to, to really walk back out with today, that... That's just the starting point. That's just the start. And the good news is, you don't have to stay there. It gets even better. The good news just gets better and better. Second idea is this. Grace teaches us how to say no. God doesn't want us just to get forever trapped in a cycle of sin and forgiveness. Does that sound a little bit like your life when you look back over the last six months, the last year, ten years of your life, you think, yeah, you know what, that kind of, it seems to be this cycle. You know, I rock along, I began to sin, there's consequences to that, or it spins me off into a crisis. And I go, oh no, what was I thinking, what was I doing? And so you pray and you repent, and, you, and the grace just kind of lifts you back up out of that. And then after a while you think, oh, and, and that just begins again. And some of us think, well, that's, that's kind of what, what grace is. No, God has something different designed and something bigger and better than that. You can call on the grace of God not just after you've sinned, and yes, you absolutely can. If you've sinned, if you've, you walked in here this morning and you think, oh, I really got something, and oh, it's, just, it's just eating me up, and it's just there, and yeah, grace is here for you. Absolutely. Here's the cool thing about grace. 
it can begin to function before you fall into sin. It's not just there after. You think, oh, then God's grace saved me from that situation or that problem, that addiction, that thing that happened, you know. Oh, God's grace. No, the Lord says, you know what? If you will follow me and you will embrace the bigger idea of what grace is, you never have to walk that ground. We can do this before you fall into sin. Here's another idea. Third idea is that grace teaches us how to live. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time now, but you know what? There's still these moments, there's still these gaps where I think, well, I don't know what to do. What do I do now? How do I do that? You know, we're really good at just throwing out kind of like pithy statements or cliches and going, yeah, well, do this or just do that. And you go, okay. And then you walk away going, what is he talking about? Well, how, how do I do that? I mean, really how? Grace can teach us how to do that. And I think it's really practical. I mean, we think of it as maybe poetic or romantic or just this big, you know, godly idea. And for some of you, maybe it's like a religious thought and you, know, you just kind of kept it confined to that. No, this is like a real life, everyday kind of a thing. There's more to the Christian experience than just saying no to sin and no to sin and no to sin and just like constantly, you know, just this is what I'm here for, just to get up today and try to make it as long as I can and not to do the biggest sins and try to keep containing that and reducing that. And what happens is after a while, it's not grace anymore. What you're doing is just managing, right? You're just managing and just trying to keep that pushed down so that it doesn't interrupt your life or just mess up everything. Is there freedom in that? I mean, do you really think that that we somehow get the idea that that's the liberty that he was talking about? When Jesus says, I've come to give you joy and to make that abundant. And you think, yeah, okay, is that just by giving me yet another technique of managing my sin? No, grace wants to show us how to live. What if you could break those old patterns, those old habits, What if you could be self-controlled without always having to think about self-control? Doesn't that sound good? What if you could live an upright and godly life just as part of who you are, your new identity? This is not just a result of trusting in our works and our abilities and, oh, I figured out this way that really works and I do this thing. I mean, I've got all those kind of things in my life too, right? I've got tricks and triggers and... I mean, I do all these kind of things that really help me to stay accountable and just really kind of guide me. But grace gives you this whole nother way. And it's not just a result of trusting that today I'm going to do it better than yesterday. It's allowing grace to teach us. I don't know if you've ever even thought about that. I hope this is maybe for some of us a new concept. Oh, grace can teach me how to live? Yes, absolutely. And then the fourth idea is this, is that grace, more than anything else in my life, grace fills me with hope. I've told some of you before that I was, I was just so not motivated in high school, and I know this has been a big graduation weekend, and congratulations. I know a lot of our uh, college folks are gone 
and that's sad. We miss you out there if you're, if you're streaming or anything, and the faithful remain here in Knoxville. God bless you, UT. Um, and then a lot of high schoolers are graduating this weekend, you know, and you're going you're to you know, take that next step. High school was not a good time for me, and I, I've mentioned this before. I had my senior year of high school, I had 42 unexcused absences. I was not sickly, unless, unless being high is sickly. You know, I was just, and we would walk past the school, we would drive past, and after a while, you know, I got caught doing that, and they called me into the principal's office, and they've come up with this brilliant, uh, you know, punishment or this disciplinary action. You're suspended for three days. I think, for, uh, wait, the crime was. I have not come to school for 42 days of this year. And so to teach me a lesson, you're going to give me three more days off? No, not that. You know, I mean, I just thought, even then, I thought, you're, you're kidding. And I tried to act humble and like, oh, this is so bad. But inside, I'm going, really? <laughs> okay. But I remember those times where you walk past or you see, back in those days, and this is schools were built of wood and we rode oxen in. And, you know, I mean, it was just a long time ago and I had a pet dinosaur. Um, But you looked for a person called the truant officer. They still have, does anybody, I don't know if that's even still a thing. It's probably now, it's like a drone. (laughs) It's like a satellite and and they can see you. But we would hide behind trees and we'd watch for them because you kind of tell who they are. And, you know, and always thinking, is this next time the time I'm going to get caught? Is this next time they're going to see me? And we've got to have a story ready or some kind of reason. And, and so even though it's kind of fun to do, you're always living under that shadow. You know, you're always living under that. Oh, I wonder if we're going to, today's the day we're going to get caught doing this. And today's the day. And so, you know, there's that paradox. And some of you are that way with your sin, Right. You know, like, I'm just so trapped in this, and there's this pleasure with it, but it's the day, the day that it's, it's going to suck me in so deeply that I, ever ca- I can't get out. Is it going to cause consequences? Is it going to do damage? Is it going to do this? And so we live in that, and we think, is, is, is that the way you want to go forward in your life? Because that just creates a sense of hopelessness. And what grace does is to reverse that. And it's so beautiful beautiful because I, I don't know if you can see the connection in these verses, but life in Jesus was never meant to be just this desperate everyday fight with sin and having to manage that. It, it's not just this narrow focus on, oh, I'm going to try to live godly today. I'm going to try. You know, in, in verse 13, we see that it's gr- God's grace that fills us with hope with hope for the next life and with hope for this life, would grace really allow sin just to rule over us, to dominate us and keep us pushed down all our lives? Is that really just a part of it and we just have to accept that? I don't think so. Would grace leave us naked and bleeding on the side of the road? God's grace is after more than just wiping the slate clean over and over and over, week after week after week. I mean, wouldn't you love to begin your prayer with, Lord, you know, something better than, Lord, you know, it's, it's me, it's Dan again. And first, let me just, uh, uh, about yesterday, 
Okay, I'm just really, really sorry about that, and I promise I'm not going to do it again, knowing the whole time you know you are. And would you forgive me for that? And you're still in that state, that constant state of, will you forgive me, will you forgive me, will you forgive me? Because we haven't identified yet with a person who stands in forgiveness, who stands in grace. It doesn't mean you're going to live sinlessly. It doesn't mean that you're not going to mess up or ever make mistakes. But if there is a difference... There is a difference when we learn to live in grace. The grace of God wants to teach us a new way to live. And if grace is the teacher and we're the students, then all of life is the classroom. It's not just in this room. It's not just in your Bible study group. It's not just you know, in your small group. If we possess, if you will take on the humility to become a learner, God's going to use all kinds of amazing things in your life and these unexpected moments and places and even people to teach you grace. That voice that tries to tie you up and drag you back down, that's just the voice of the adversary. He whispers temptation before the sin and then he shouts condemnation after the sin. Isn't that true? You know, there's this subtle pull, this draw, this enticement. And then afterwards, it's like, oh. And you just live in that place. His voice is so skilled in that subtle influence. And it's followed by that paralyzing guilt and that shame. And he'll try to keep you there, Christian. It's a voice filled with accusation because he is a liar. He's a father of lies. That's his native tongue. That's his language. That's the way he speaks. And he's merciless. Sin brings death. That's true. But God's grace, his amazing grace, wipes away the penalty of death. And it wipes away the stain of sin. Even better. Grace does more. You may not have known about this part. I mean, it raises us to life and it teaches us a new way to go forward. That's the glory of God. And that's when he speaks grace to us, even in our sin. He turns even our sin into the stuff of redemption. His message is restoration. His message is healing and what's more he takes that defeat whatever yours is and he will weave that into the very fabric of instruction he'll say okay did you see what just happened and how you behave and the way that went and, and here we are okay let me show you something from that see most of us just want to move past it and get get as far away from it as we can as fast as we can god says wait l- let me let me teach you something from that in John 8, 11, he said, go. Don't sin anymore. And I think you could almost see a parenthesis under that. Learn from this. Learn from what just happened. Now, go, but don't sin anymore. I'm setting you free. You're free. Hey, have you ever learned from your sin? Did you ever learn something from it, or did you just try to get... Forgive, you know, give forgiveness from it and just move away from it. This is grace. God is not only ready to forgive, he's eager to teach through that. 
And if you're open to his voice, even your sin will become a tool for his grace. I know that sounds bizarre, but it's true. He'll show you the path to obedience. He'll correct your steps. He'll reveal your heart to you. Because you're probably, like most of us, you're hiding from that. And he won't do it just by constantly counting your sins you know, for you and showing those to you, but he's going to teach you a new way to live. For example, if I fall into anger, Jesus wants to reveal the source of that anger and where that weakness is that led to that sin and take me to a new place. If I choose greed, Jesus wants to reveal, here's your insecurity that's, you know, connected to that, and I'm going to heal that weakness that led you to sin. If I choose lust, Jesus reveals to reveal my desire and, and to heal that weakness that led to that sin. If I choose judgment, being judgmental, you know, and Jesus wants to reveal my pride and to heal the weakness that led to that sin. Get the, get the idea. God wants to not just correct your behavior, but heal the weakness, that place in you that's led to that. That's what grace does. Whatever he asks you to do, he's going to empower you to do it. You see, in the beginning, I thought, God, you're so unreasonable. You're asking me to do all these things and to live in this way. I can't live like that. Who can live like that? He says, I know you can't. That's why I'm going to come. I'm going to live in you. And I'm going to let you live in me. And we are going to do this. You die to yourself. And allow me to flow in and through you. That's a bigger idea of grace. Isn't that crazy that he would even turn your sin into a source of healing and a place of resurrection from a life of sin? That's what he does. Because resurrection isn't just for Jesus. It's for us. It's for you and me. It's not just for the end of our days on our deathbed. It's now. It's today and tomorrow and this week so that we can walk in a new life. Sin puts us in a tomb, but Jesus rolls away the stone. Okay, how are we going to apply this message and this scripture uh, today and this week? Let's do this. Um, I think it can be really personal as we pray and as we listen, as we learn, as we, as we go forward to this afternoon and tomorrow. So let, let me explain. Here's, here's an idea. In our daily prayers, um, what if we included a prayer that sounded something like this? Spirit of God, please open my eyes and heart to recognize where your grace is working in my life. I think it's even a part of God's grace to be able to pray that prayer to start with. Now, I'm going to do this every day, and I'm going to do it first thing in the morning because that's, I mean, it just starts right off in the very beginning, right? I mean, the, if you wait a lunchtime or that night, there's a lot that's going to happen during the day. So here's what I'm going to do. Every morning, I'm going to get up, and along with my other prayers and other things I do, and I, this, this sentence... It's going to become a permanent part of what I pray. 
Because otherwise we think, yeah, I'll do that. And then what happens after a few days? You know, it's kind of gone. There's just so much stuff. You know, we're just constantly bombarded with information. And, you know, I, 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 read, a, I read an article, an article this week that said we touch our cell phones 150 times a day. We look at it like a, we look at it a thousand times. I mean, it's just ridiculous and it's crazy. There's just so much information from all sorts of directions coming at us. So we're going to begin fresh. And every day I'm going to put this in my prayer. Spirit of God, please open my eyes and my heart to recognize where's your grace working in my life. Jesus assured us, if you ask for bread, for instance, in Matthew 7, he said, I'm not going to give you a snake or a stone or something. I'm not going to trick you. I'm going to give you what you're asking for. I know what you need. He sees you. He hears you. He cares. You can be confident that God's going to love a prayer like this. He's going to love it when you pray like this. And as your spirit is awakened, you're going to love this prayer and the difference that it makes in your life. So when you pray and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, I often pray while I'm walking. You know, I walk in the mornings, I walk in the evenings. That's a good time to pray. Uh, you can pray at your kitchen table or wherever it is, where your play, you know, where your closet is, you know, where your, your secret place. But when you do that, I'm going to encourage you to get a journal or you know, just take out your phone. No, I, I hate to tell you to take out your phone because you'll get this. You think, well, let me just check Facebook real quick while I'm praying here, Lord. But find a way to take a few notes as God starts speaking to your heart. I mean, I started doing this. And I can tell you, there's these thoughts that came in. I thought, wow, I wouldn't have had that thought if I hadn't prayed that prayer. And I just began to think, oh, Lord, you just illuminated this moment for me. Ah, I never thought about that or had that. But if you know what? If you don't find out a way to write it down, record it somehow, at least me, I'm going to lose it. It's going to go away. In a few days, you're going to say, hey, what was the thought God gave you on Monday? Oh, yeah, that was about, oh, something about, you know, that thing. and it's, So take a few notes on that and begin to build up, uh, you know, this resource that you have. And then you can look back at it and, and say, well, you know, what have I discovered about God as I've prayed and listened to him? What did I discover about myself that I just didn't see before? You can be sure that God is going to lead you to a larger, better understanding of what grace really is. I promise you this is going to work. Uh, and so in the coming week, here's the ask, okay? Here's the action point, the application for today. Sometimes we walk out and we think, so what do I do with that? I don't, I don't know what to do. Okay, here's what we're going to do. What would happen, what would happen if you tried this exercise, exercise, exercise every, day, every day this week? Okay, it's only going to take you a few minutes. So don't, don't say that about, oh, you don't know, I'm so busy, and I know you're real important and you're real busy. Me too. Um, but I can do this. You can do this. All right? And whatever other, you know, walls you throw up or d- defenses you have, what would happen if you tried this exercise every day, every day for this week? It's not just merely about gaining biblical knowledge and more information, as important as that really is. Um, It's about opening our eyes and our ears and our lives and my heart to this deeper grace of God. So he wants to teach us a new way to live, and I think he's going to do that. And yes, I still stumble. 
yes, you're going to fall down along the way, but you don't stay there. And it's not going to be as often. You're not going to fall as far. You're not going to stumble as badly. You're going to begin to see this difference. You know the thing, how you can get in shape? And I think it's called uh, from couch potato to 5K. Am I saying that right? Same idea, spiritual application. Okay. Um, There's so much more grace available for us than we're aware of. It's for every day and it's for every situation. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and um, we're going to pray this. We're just going to say this out loud together. Then we're going to sing. And, and during this time of this, this closing worship, you can use that as a moment of affirmation to say to the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not going to do it, you're off the hook. Just say, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to be, I'd rather be honest with you than tell you a lie in church and then, you know, feel like another layer of shame all week. If you're not going to do it, just sing the song. <laughs> Move your lips. But if you are, Take this moment to say, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write this down. Um, We'll put it online somewhere uh, in case you lose that or whatever. Just say, Lord, I'm going to pray this every day. I'm going to do it. Let's say it together, okay? Let's say this together. Spirit of God, please open my eyes and heart to recognize where your grace is. Is working in my life.